0: Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing.
1: This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the LN Institute for Artificial Intelligence.
0: All right, today our guest is Amrita Saha, who is a research engineer at IBM Research in Bangalore, India, uh, who has been there for several years working on various kinds of question answering stuff. Their group has put out a few interesting datasets recently, and today we're talking about one of them called DuoRC. Uh, this is a paper um, published in ACL this year, 2018. And the title of the paper, paper is DuoRC, Towards Complex Language Understanding with Paraphrased Reading Comprehension. Amrita, welcome to the program. Um,
2: yeah, thanks, Matt.
0: Uh, so it feels like there have been a whole lot of question-answering data sets released recently. Can you tell us about what's unique about like what what your motivation was for creating this one?
2: Uh, right. Uh, so uh, recently like we have seen two streams of uh, RC datasets, one towards this factual question answering. Uh, towards the factual passages and the other towards the narrative passages. So recently, uh, like uh, in the beginning, the factual uh, RC problems were mostly focused on where uh, the question and the answers came from the same passages. And as a result of that, there was a high lexical overlap between the question and the passage. And uh, because of that, there were uh, other ways of of fooling the models and it seemed that the models did not really need to learn the language in order to answer questions. Then people started looking at uh, more complex ways of creating the data sets so that the question and the passage can have uh, lesser overlap. And then that led to datasets data sets like CVA, QA, uh, MS Marco, etc., and in the narrative passage uh, or the narrative question answering area, there were uh, newer data sets coming up like movie QA and narrative QA. But uh, there were certain problems, again, with those. So, movie QA, again, it had the issue of high lexical overlap between the question and the passage. And narrative QA posed uh, two kinds of problems. So, one was task very similar to movie QA. And uh, there also you have plot summaries and you have questions asked over the plot summaries and because the questions and answers came from the same plot summary uh, again they had a high lexical overlap but they also posed another very uh, tough uh, problem of RC which was answering the questions from the from a huge book which has probably 60,000 tokens and the answers actually came from the plot summary so uh, it has multiple challenges so not only RC it has probably summarization problems And secondly, there is a uh, tricky way of evaluation because the gold answers come from the plot summaries, whereas the machine is supposed to look at the entire book and answer. And these two answers may actually be, uh, in truth, they might be very different. So that's where we uh, tried uh, looking at this narrative passage, narrative question answering problems, especially over these comprehensions. And we tried, uh, what is the way to design the data set? so that we can achieve this uh, low uh, lexical overlap between the question and the answer. So by design, uh, what we do is uh, we take a movie Uh, And we have the Wikipedia plot of the movie. We have the IMDb plot of the movie. And uh, we do this for, let's say, some uh, 7,000, roughly around 8,000 movies, we have this kind of plot. And we take only movies where the plot length is more than some 100 words. So we have uh, significantly big uh, comprehension to look at. Now, the way the annotation is being done, uh, first, uh, we uh, take the shorter version of the two plots, be it Wikipedia or IMDb. And we show the shorter version to annotators. And the annotator's job is to look at these plots and come up with questions. Along with that, also come up with the answer. Because the question and the answer are being created from the same passage, we expect this would be a simpler task and there will be high level of uh, lexical overlap between the question and the plot. Next, we have gotten a uh, few questions from this, and uh, this is actually uh, amounting to around 86,000 questions in our data set. And we call this as the self RC task, which we expect to be simpler. And we call it self RC because the question and the uh, answer both come from the same plot. Now, uh, we taking these 86,000 questions, we'll go to the longer version of the plot, and we show a different set of annotators, uh, longer version of the plot, and the question. And their job is to uh, read the whole plot and answer each of these. And we take a consensus of five annotators to come up with the answer. Uh, So this particular task is challenging in multiple aspects because by design, uh, the question can have very little overlap in terms of words and phrases with the plot. And uh, the annotator needs to put a lot of uh, cognition or uh, he needs to really know about the particular domain or the genre or sometimes he needs to put common sense knowledge. Uh, So, there are various aspects of uh, uh, various kinds of challenges which I'll go into later on. By this process we yield around 100,000 such questions and this we call as the paraphrase RC task. So, our notion is this, uh, the self RC task should be almost comparable to the movie QA or the simpler of the narrative uh, narrative QA data set but the paraphrase RC task should be harder than either of these. So, all of the contemporary narrative RC data sets included, like paraphrase RC is supposed to be uh, tougher than each of.
1: One measure of difficulty for the set is like how well the humans can do on it. So I was wondering when you presented a question in the, I think, the fourth step, a question that's already been uh, asked about the shorter version, how often does the answer coincide with the original answer that the person who also provided the question asked?
2: Yeah, so we actually checked uh, to an extent so sometimes the answer might be actually very different from the two plots and it's true uh, that so let's say the question is who killed uh, mr x and in one uh, place the answer is his mother and in the other place the answer is actually the name of the person so both of the cases the answers are very different and it's not uh, just because they don't match lexically uh, we should not uh, treat that as a wrong answer And there are also other cases where the fact that they don't match is indicative of the fact that one of them is probably wrong. So, we just did a simple uh, jacquard overlap of how many times it matches or not. So, that gave us uh, like a rough number of around 67%. So, Uh, Just uh, before that, also around 13% of the paraphrase RC questions are not even answerable from the second or the this paraphrase plot. So, only we can uh, only for the remaining of the questions we can do this kind of statistics, but we had seen around roughly the Jacquard overlap was. Around 60% in those cases where the un- uh, question was really answered. And uh, this other human baseline is a, a very important factor. So, yeah, uh, we actually did not have that in when we were evaluating the models. But the way the paraphrase RC dataset itself is created is by taking consensus of five uh, annotators. Uh, if at least two annotators uh, agree on a particular uh, answer, that particular answer is considered as the correct answer. The rest of it we still yeah, keep on gathering uh, annotations if we do not find consensus for certain. And the rest of it, which are not found, um, uh, like 13% of it is not even found to be answerable. That's what we do. And other than that, around 37% of these questions are not directly there in the passage. So it might be synthesized by different annotators and every annotator might synthesize in a different way. But we still... Uh, do some kind of word level match to figure out whether they're talking about the same thing.
0: I guess when we talk about human performance, one way to try to get at this is like agreement between annotators. And so if if all I take is like, yeah, having consensus to get like the final gold annotations is good. But if you don't also measure how often there's disagreement, we're not really getting a good human performance on this, right? Like you kind of want... an either another person besides that to give annotations and see how much they agree or, or measure how much the actual annotators, disa- like the, the original annotators disagreed on the these to get some upper bound on agreement with the machine, right? Right. Do you have any sense of how that is?
2: Yeah. Going forward, I think, uh, yeah, we did not have this for the paper, but it's an important point. It's more like a skyline that we need to establish uh, to what extent these questions are answerable. But barring the 13% uh, questions, all of the remaining questions had at least two annotators which bo- who boiled down to the same answer. If we were not taking majority, we needed instances where at least two annotators came up with the same answer. But I agree, like, uh, we should have a separate evaluation where we take a completely other set of annotators and see if these questions are really answerable. Yeah, that it makes sense, definitely.
1: Another question I had, would it make sense to have, given what you mentioned about the answer possibly taking multiple different forms and all of them are correct. Would it make sense to include multiple answers for, for this kind of data
2: set? Yeah, actually we do have multiple answers. In, in, for each of these questions, roughly I think we have two to three unique answers on an average because after taking a consensus at least and expecting at least two of the five answers would be the same. The rough average comes to two or three. And when we take the blue or when we take the accuracy, we take it with respect to either we do that multiple reference blue or or we do the accuracy at least it should match that particular answer which was given by at least two annotators, but it does have multiple references for each multiple answers.
0: Okay, you gave a good overview at the beginning of a lot of the aspects of this work and we kind of dove into some details on human performance on this data set. I think it'd be nice to dig into some more detail on some of the things that you talked about. You started off by making a distinction in QA datasets that I hadn't really heard of before, or hadn't I hadn't considered with narrative style QA and I forget what term you used
2: yeah the reason why I was talking about uh, these two distinctions is that narrative style in my uh, feeling it gives a very different flavor of uh, difficulty so uh, one of the things is like probably uh, understanding in in narrations which part is fiction which part is non-fiction so let's say i have a question where there's a movie say 12 monkeys and there's a character called james cole there and the question is james cole lived beneath which city and the answer actually came from a word philadelphia somehow if you understand that this which city is uh, kind of roughly conforming to the real world and i can real world facts and i can use uh, the knowledge base uh, like uh, freebase or something to understand that philadelphia is a city that might probably help me do the inferencing but I should not be using the fact that James Cole is a person, even though let's say James Cole is really a person in freebase, I probably should not be using his information to infer something. So inferring which part uh, can be a f- uh, fiction, which part can be a worldly fact is one of the distincting factors. The other things are also uh, this narrative question answering might bring different kinds of event based analysis or uh, analysis from different genre, it literally becomes like an open domain problem, like uh, today you're talking about uh, something, uh, some particular genre, which is very much related to, uh, let's say, uh, yeah, so, uh, you're you need to know something about, let's say, uh, airport setting, or you need to know some very something very specific about some other uh, closed world setting. So, it might be actually very different in that sense. That is one reason why we chose this narrative, uh, narrative kind of question answering. But of course, the main challenges which we are talking about is probably this common sense reasoning, because even if you look at each of these questions, I mean, I think almost all of these questions require this factor of common sense reasoning.
0: So I think the first problem that you mentioned of like a knowledge base for real facts versus like fiction facts, we could probably get around that because I don't know, like Harry Potter fan fiction has a big database of facts that you could use instead of freebase. And I, I think these data sets, because we're calling them reading comprehension, whatever that term means, it's not a, a great term for this, but. The notion typically is that you don't need any kind, any source of external knowledge. You should only need the text itself to answer the question, right? So I, I feel like that distinction might not be the bigger one. I do think this, the distinction that you're making between like narrative style data sets and more factoid kinds of data sets is interesting because maybe the question distribution that you get out from these two different kinds of data sets is different. Do you have any sense of if that's true?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, it's, possible. So, uh, we specifically focused on objective kind of questions. So, we expected mostly what, which uh, kind of questions only. So, and very few of these very descriptive how or causal uh, analysis kind of questions. But, uh, yeah, it's probably possible in both the settings to hallucinate these uh, more descriptive kind of questions or more uh, objective or fact-based kind of uh, questions. But uh, one thing which you referred to in the earlier point that whether uh, or not we should ensure when creating data sets or we should uh, assume when we are working on this problem that the entire data set and the entire information is going to be self-contained in the uh, passage So, I'm not sure if in real uh, tasks, when we actually go out and do question answering, uh, whether that will actually happen. So, one of the key motivations towards this data set was initially we wanted to have a data set which really requires uh, this um, external auxiliary knowledge. And it may come from knowledge bases, it may come from some uh, common sense uh, repository, or it may come from other modalities also. We didn't focus on that, but uh, that was one of the motivations, uh, looking at some of the real world tasks
1: itself.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point that when constructing the data set and when looking at the questions building a system, you might think, I don't really want to have anything external. But actually, what we as humans, when we parse language, we have a whole lot of external stuff. And there's a lot that, um, you're going to need to really understand a paragraph. And so you, you can't really separate these things. Um, particular discrete facts about people and places, maybe some of them won't be too useful uh In like a general reading comprehension facility, but knowing some general things about the way the world works and common sense is going to be really important. And maybe those are things that are also stored in some knowledge base too. I don't know if it's too plausible to think that you have a bunch of common sense stored in some neural networks weights, but no one's really figured this out yet. Interesting.
1: Another distinction in, in this data set is that you allow the answers to be not exact spans from the passage. Could you tell us a little more about this? Why is this important?
2: Yeah. So actually, like uh, if we look at the self RC task, which is the simpler of the two, uh, so around seventy percent of the questions are direct spans. But we did see that uh, initially we did not have this constraint as such, and we saw that annotators were coming up with questions like, say, how many people were, uh, how many people witnessed uh, this person's Death. There, uh, let's say in the passage, it was not really written. Uh, so, in the self RC passage, it might have been written two people witnessed the death. But in the paraphrase RC passage, what happened was it probably would have written person X and person Y witnessed the death. But the actual count was not written. And we thought it was interesting looking questions. But again, like not too many of these had this particular characteristic. So, we opened up two guidelines saying that uh, confirm, uh, like uh, see if you can answer it directly from this span and then uh, note it. Uh, uh, like annotate that particular span, but we did not enforce them to always answer from a given span. If the question was actually answerable in the paraphrase RC corp, uh, comprehension, but it required the annotator to write down something uh, by inferring some from a particular span, then that was also allowed. Uh, that was one of the uh, in, uh, reason why we decided to incorporate. But in terms of the test and the evaluation, I see it's a different kind of challenge that is brought about when it's very orthogonal to the rest of the complexity. So we have two test sets. So one is which we call the SPAN test, which is roughly 50% for paraphrase RC problem, around 70% for the self-RC problem. That is specifically the subset of the test set where the answers are directly SPANs.
1: And it's, it seems like a more natural problem this way, but side effect is that it's, it's going to be way harder given that current models at least don't give you this ability to stitch together different pieces. I, I think this is a, a great opportunity for us as a community to grow like that kind of difficulty in question in the comprehension tasks. I wonder if there are existing uh, datasets that already have this kind of answers. Are you aware of any other datasets?
2: Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, most of these, like MS Marco, also claims that, uh, so MS Mark also had a similar process of taking the queries from the web and the actual answers which users would have written. And on top of that, they had annotators who actually annotated parts of the these evidence documents or these web documents, which uh, which according to them contained the answer. And if they can't find the answer, they actually wrote down the actual answer. So that data set also has the similar characteristic.
0: Yeah, I guess I find myself running away from any data set that doesn't have a clear evaluation, like MS Marco narrative QA, these data sets that rely on blue and rouge for evaluation. Like I I don't trust these metrics. And so like, if we don't even know how to evaluate this, then how, how can we claim to make progress? I'm, I just don't know.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we had the exact same issue with, but we initially did not want to, uh, like, so we looked at what happens when something gets blue eight and blue 10. So, None of these are very comparable, like probably below blue 15 or even blue 20, right? And it's meaningless to evaluate with the, these metrics so we actually initially had ditched these metrics we were only uh, looking at accuracy and f1 and even if uh, we are looking at answer questions which are not having span based answers we still can see what is the simple word word level overlap or something but uh, this blue gives a I mean it's hard to interpret so initially we had completely ditched that thing but uh, so reviewers uh, came up with some points so later on in the resubmission we included that but yeah i also completely and so think that uh, probably we are not targeting the correct evaluation metrics for all of these fuzzy problems like that there's a whole uh, different uh, challenge challenge uh, coming up with the right metric for these uh, fuzzy problems
0: yeah so uh, anyone listening if you are reviewing a paper that does question answering do not demand blue as a metric <laughs> like no that that is not right don't do that please
1: Wait, but how, how would you allow the answer to be different? Yeah, of course, we can do like just substring matching. But why do you think this is better than blue? So uh,
2: just for the substring matching, like or for the software matching, we just had F1 score. So even if I get blue of 20 uh, or 0.2, I mean, if I look at the actual instances where blue of uh, 20% has been obtained, uh, they might actually look very meaningless. But that's why I just feel that maybe calibration is in our head is not very tuned towards what blue does because of all of these other aspects of it like brevity penalty and other aspects which blue has internally coded up uh, that way probably f1 is a little bit more um, familiar and yeah that's just my perspective and,
0: and and honestly I'm not too happy with f1 for this kind of stuff either span-based evaluation is really really nice because it's clear span based question answering has its own problems right but at least we know how to evaluate it um I don't think we know how to evaluate in any other kind of question answering really if, if you don't have have some discrete set of options that you can choose from. We don't know how to evaluate language generation in the context of question answering. And until we solve that problem, I don't know how to make progress on any of these data sets.
1: I mean, this is a very old problem in machine translation. And if we did the same and decided not to work on machine translation until we solve the evaluation problem, that would be a terrible idea.
0: I think these are very different because machine translation, it, it's a lot less open-ended. Um, the machine translation, like a word level translation in machine translation, while of course it's not great is also not horrible. So it's more like my baseline is going to, for, for machine translation is going to be something, um, a lot closer to the actual semantics that I'm looking for. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get is something that sounds more fluid and actually gets some important pieces right. Whereas in question answering, that's not true at all. Like you have nothing to base your answer on. And there, there's, there's no way to say that like my baseline um, is, is a good starting point that I need to tweak with and blue can measure how well I'm tweaking that like we don't have that at all it just doesn't work how do you know that the semantics of what I output if it has high blue score has any kind of correlation to the semantics of the answer that I'm trying to, to give like we need something that is more of a paraphrase model uh, like I, I'm hesitant to suggest like a learned metric but we really want something that is much better at like saying did I get the, the same predicate argument structure or a paraphrase of the predicate argument structure in the in the sentence like did I capture the same meaning not do I have lexical overlap and a few small points on this like really um, hard to interpret scale that is blue
1: that makes sense I think the point you're trying to make is in all these metrics you're trying to combine two things uh, getting the information and then putting it in the form that is expected and these two pieces are not always separable in machine translation, oftentimes, we, yeah, I agree. Word-for-word uh, word translation would kind of solve the first problem.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way to articulate it, that it's information versus form. And machine translation, the problem is much more one of form. And in QA, the problem is much more one of information. And blue doesn't doesn't measure information, really.
1: I mean, I feel like we're maybe underestimating the difficulty of uh, like finding the correct words in translation, but uh, at least it's very different than the difficulty involved in finding the correct information in question answering. Right.
2: Uh, just like in dialogue for evaluating dialogue response uh, they had these adversarial ways of evaluation like whether the response is coming from the adversarial model or the response is coming from the model which can be fooled or not so this adversarial notion of evaluation do you think is probably more meaningful in these question answering setup as well
0: i i'm not familiar enough with uh, that work i need to read up on it well he... yeah I me mean neither Okay, great. So this has been really interesting so far. Just to summarize what we've talked about, big problems with existing QA datasets is that by construction, there's a lot of lexical overlap between the questions and the passage. And so the questions are maybe artificially easy, because it's just detecting simple paraphrase and extracting types. And so you get around this by having two sources of the same basic content and you ask questions about one and answer them on another. This is an idea that some other people have had, like the who did what data set does this, the trivia QA data set does something like this. But you, you do it with movie plots, which is nice. And this is a different genre in that they're more narrative kinds of questions instead of uh, more factoid kinds of questions. And, and so maybe you can get some more interesting discourse kinds of phenomena going on here. We talked about some challenges in how you evaluate these systems, both for human performance and for machine performance. How do you evaluate this? This is tricky. Oh yeah, you also told us at the beginning about how you constructed this, um, like your annotation task, which was nice. And then I think at this point, uh, what we should talk about is the experiments that you ran. So how well do, you, do systems run on this data set?
2: Uh, yeah, so first let's look at the simpler of the two tasks, the self-RC itself. And uh, for our consideration, let's only focus on this, uh, what happens when the answers are directly spans from the passage, right? So the self-RC task, uh, though it seems very similar to squad complexity, it's still uh, we saw that the accuracy was much lower than squad, even though we used just the off-the-shelf models like by def, uh, on this. So one of the reasons is that uh, the length of the passage is much longer than squad. Squad usually has around 120 words on an average and the self-rc uh, passage was around some 500 words on an average. So that might be one of the reasons why we have lesser uh, accuracy on this uh, in comparison to squad. If I just compare the, so there were two models because we had uh, answers which are corresponding to spans and answers which are open-ended. We had model just to detect the span and we had another model to generate the answer from the span. And the generative model Models are performing pretty bad. Actually, uh, the performance is much worse than the span-based model's performance simply because of the error cascading. And this is, I think, a second level of uh, task to look at. So first, let's concentrate what happens on this span-based answer case. So what happens on the self-RC as compared to what happens on the paraphrase RC? We see that the performance immediately drops by almost 30 points. So from 46% accuracy on the self-RC task, it drops to around 17% accuracy on the paraphrase RC task. Of course, the test sets are very different and you now, but there's a huge performance difference. So a couple of just low-hanging fruits we try to address in order to bridge the gap between the paraphrase RC problem and the self-RC kind of problem. So uh, we took that long passage. Usually the length of the passage in the paraphrase RC case is almost double that of the self RC case. It has around 900 words on an average. So we try to do coreference resolution to uh, bring down or soften the problem of multiple sentence inferencing. The, that is one of the things. And then we try to do a relevance snippet extraction. So we apply simple IR-based techniques or semantic matches and try to find which part of the plot is relevant for this given question. And that increased the accuracy numbers from 17% to roughly around 27%. Then we try to see what happens if we knew the gold answer and we could directly extract an oracle subplot of the same size as the usual self-rc plots. So if I know my self-RC plot is around 200 words or around 500 words, uh, then I will just extract the plot surrounding my gold answer. So let's call it the oracle preprocessing. Let's see if this oracle preprocessing solves all my problems in my paraphrase RC plot. That actually leads to only 2% increase beyond that rule-based preprocessing which we had applied. So it means that it still is not being able to bridge the gap between paraphrase RC and self-RC. Where The self-RC was still standing at uh, around 46%. And after doing all of these reduction of the plot, we still come to around 29%. So uh, this was one of the things that we saw just looking at each of these two tasks separately. The second thing which we are trying to look at is what happens if we do some self-testing and some cross-testing, right? Like uh, if we have, let's say at our resort at our disposal, we have both of these two data sets, then what combination of training or testing actually is the hardest, or what combination will give us the best results? So as expected of course. So if I just uh, train on self-RC, paraphrase-RC or test-RC and I just uh, sorry uh, train on self or paraphrase-RC or the combination of self and paraphrase-RC and I just simply test on either self-RC or uh, just on paraphrase-RC or on this combined uh, data set, then the easiest is self-RC of course. The medium hardness is that of the combined task and the hardest one is when I'm only evaluating on. Paraphrase So, this particular test was more like a sanity check just, just to see whether uh, the intuition follows. So, this is what we expected, anyways. But what happens when we train on the combinations of like either self RC or paraphrase RC or the, the entire data set of this uh, around 180K? Question answers. So, the lowest performance happens when you just train on paraphrase RC, which is also expected that you're training on the hardest problem. But when you test on any of these combinations like self RC, paraphrase RC, or the entire thing, in all of the cases, this gives the lowest performance. The next level of performance or somewhat improvement is obtained when you Train on self RC task itself and you evaluate on all of these three. But the best performance actually comes when you train on the combined data set. So it means that this paraphrase RC is indeed bringing in something to the table. It's actually helping the model to learn uh, or uh, do slightly better on some of these harder problems at the test time. So it's uh, not that it completely jeopardizes the model or something, even if you include that in training. Whether or not the model is doing something special to uh, attack these uh, specific hard problems. It does help to some extent. So this was uh, the main conclusions that we drew from the ex- experiments.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting to me to see that when you train on just the harder version, the paraphrase RC, you do quite poorly, but adding it to the self-RC improves the performance of the self-RC. Do you have any intuition for why that might be?
2: Yeah, It's just that, I mean, if that had not happened, we would have been uh, really more worried about this data set that, Maybe it's bringing some negative signals, it's not even helping in the... So if I just do the same thing, like uh, if I just test on self-RC and I train it on self-RC as opposed to I train it on self plus paraphrase RC. So even on this task, if it kind of dropped, I would think that it's doing some kind of negative uh, learning from the harder problems. Just the fact that it's not doing is a, probably a indication that it's not jeopardizing the models. But yeah, it, I think we need more investigation around these
0: Yeah, I wonder what would happen if you train first on self RC and then on paraphrase RC. One hypothesis is that, um, the self RC, the easier one is, is helping you figure out like a just basic level of paraphrase so that you can localize stuff in the harder corpus better. You would, you would think that you, you might overfit on the simple lexical matches if you're training on both of them and distract yourself from the actual harder problem, but you need to be in a good starting place. So. Maybe doing like a con- curriculum kind of thing might help. I I don't know. This is this is just guessing here, but it's it's interesting.
2: Yeah, that's, um, that absolutely makes sense.
0: We can try something. Yeah, and, yeah. Just to give just to give a quick um, example uh, uh, from the paper. This is the first example that shows up. The movie is called Twelve Monkeys. There's a question called Peters is aboard the plane with what? In the shorter version. Where this question was generated from, the sentence is, Peters, aboard the plane with a virus, dot dot dot. So this is like an obvious squad style. Someone just like did a copy paste and switched some words. Whereas in the longer version, the only evidence you have to answer this question is that the man, who previously was referred to as uh, Dr. Peters, the man goes through airport screening and manages to persuade security that his biological samples, dot, dot, dot. So Peters is aboard the plane with biological samples, but you've got to do a whole ton of crazy stuff to figure out that that's what's going on here. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just a very different kind of problem. And you would think that training on self-RC would distract you from answering this harder kind of problem. Maybe it's just getting a, like a baseline kind of like lexical matching signal in the model. I don't know.
1: Could it be that the uh, improvement we're seeing just by increasing the number of training samples? I'd be interested in seeing uh, if you control for the same number of examples in the training set, uh, would you get still better performance uh, by combining self-RCN for per- RCN?
2: Some more ablation tests, uh, tests would be definitely interesting to see. So uh, one more thing I just wanted to add: uh, the other resource which we might be overlooking in this particular task of question answering is the fact that we, for every question, we have two parallel. Uh, snippets from some uh, from two paraphrase documents. So the, there might be a lot of paraphrase document kind of resources available, but here we have two snippets of each of these paraphrase documents anchored by a given question. So whether that kind of uh, resource might be helpful for other problems where you try to learn paraphrases or something else is um, can also be seen.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, thanks, Amrita, for coming out. This was a really interesting discussion. Um, is there anything you wanted to talk about that we missed, or do you have any final thoughts before we conclude?
2: Uh, no. So, yeah, we are also starting to work on these problems. So, I'll definitely encourage people to uh, work on these or, uh, I mean, augment the data set. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks.